Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Two things. Thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And because of that, I have set before thee an open door, and no one can shut the door that I have opened. Now, I want you to think with me tonight what, on a continuation of what we are teaching in our psychology at the college. And simply this, or at least one of our classes. God challenges our temperamental weaknesses with open doors of grace. Now, think with me. God challenges our temperamental weaknesses, many of them derived by an honest natural law or natural laws, such as, as we have discussed, laws of genetics, laws of our environment, and laws of our insecurities, which is very normal for Adam to experience. And God has challenged those natural insecurities with an open door, and that open door is simply this. The Lord Jesus opens the door and takes us into a large room. Psalm 14 and Psalm 32 talks about it, a large room. And that large room is a room that we inhabit, which takes us out of the confinement of our natural flesh and its weaknesses and its natural temperament into the open door. Insecurity is really a false security pertaining to securities. A false security pertaining to the insecure or to securities reveal insecurities toward God's promises for security. Uh, it's an amazing mystery of iniquity, this principle of insecurity. But God will take away our security to reveal our insecurity. And about the time you think that you're not insecure, he'll take something from your life and watch you be insecure about it. He'll have people come up to you and say things and do things to you that they don't even know what they're doing just to reveal to you that you're insecure in his plan. And the purpose of it is to reveal to you that you are insecure in the plan of God. The Lord Jesus will come up to you and test what you're supposed to know to see if you really live it. And immediately when the, for example, you hear five messages on unconditional love, that we live in the first cause of love. And the first cause of love lays down its life for the guilty, we have learned. It dies for the guilty. It doesn't demand anything in return, but it just lives in the privilege of its own essence, the quality of its own provision, the power of its own character, the first cause. And all of this is God's open door that we do not enter into. No man can close it, but you can close it. Or at least you can't close the door to the room, but you can prevent yourself from entering in. Because every large room takes you out of confinement. It takes you out of limitation. It takes you out of, of the land of inhibitant, of being inhibited. And so the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'll challenge your inferiority complex with grace. I'll challenge your lack of love with my unconditional love. You say you can't love anyone? Okay, then I'll give you my unconditional love anyway, whether you can or not. How's that for a challenge of grace? I'll challenge your envy with eternal provisions, joint heirship with Jesus Christ. Then what have you got to envy? 
I'll challenge your loneliness with the fact that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Can you really be lonely if you experience that kind of fellowship? I'll challenge your bad temper with my eternal peace, which will pass your understanding of situations so you won't be irrational within your disposition. How's that for a challenge? I'll challenge the fact that you are not satisfied with where you are with Christ with the fact that I consider you complete anyway. In Colossians 2.10. I'll challenge everything you think is wrong with something I am that's right, says God. So I'll challenge you with an open door. And I've opened the door when Jesus Christ was resurrected. That opened the door. And you can walk in and find larger rooms and no man can shut the door. Now, you can't beat that kind of grace extended to you and I who are sinners. Our insecurity really is there because we don't have security in God's unconditional love toward us. That's really the problem. You see, God can remove every single thing that you're insecure about and you'll still be insecure. Because insecurity is an attitude toward God. Now, here's a person that's insecure in their job, insecure in their marriage, insecure in making things right, insecure. Wives are insecure with their husbands, and husbands are insecure with their wives, especially on a spiritual level many times. And the insecurity abounds. But you remove, uh, the, the wife will turn around and lovingly submit to a husband and begin to make him feel like a king, and he still is insecure. Why? Because he's insecure toward God's unconditional love toward him just where he is right then. And so, the lack of confidence toward God produces my sense of inadequacy toward life and its privileges and opportunities and trials. Now, remember this tonight, that the Word of God says, If I do not have any confidence in the flesh, then I'll never be insecure. Philippians 3, 3. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, all of our sufficiency is of God, who has made us able ministers, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, in Hebrews 2, 4, it is the Holy Spirit that ministereth miracles. And in Galatians 3, 5, it's the Holy Spirit that ministereth the grace that performs all of those fantastic things that God wants to do through His administration. So... I remain insecure as long as there's one single thing about my past or present that remain lodged in my frontal lobe, because my flesh has not been helped by God's promises, only condemned by Jesus Christ's cross. And here comes the reason for insecurity. Christ has condemned my old nature, and in my moral conscience and in my spiritual capacity, he will not endorse it. Therefore, there is a true law working within me from divine viewpoint, and it is that I will always be insecure as long as I operate in that that God has condemned. And no matter how much I put on religious fig leaves or religious clothing or ecclesiastical evangelical language, I will still be insecure because God will not give me the security of truth when I operate in the insecurity of a surface Christianity only on the outside of profession. So if we remember that, now when I accept my co-crucifixion and live in his resurrection, then I have all the confidence of life out of death. All the confidence of sins forgiven and sin crucified. 
when I accept my position in heaven, I have all the confidence in the world that the devil's under my feet. But when I accept my position in the body as a member head in the organism, I have all the confidence in the world that I have the fullness of the provisions of the purpose of the government in the authority of the opportunities of the privilege of life through response. Now, can you imagine some of the things that insecurity produces? We've spoken it three times this week in our psychology sessions, but we've, we've gone into many things. At my best, when I have confidence in the flesh, I have a false security toward life. And God has to tear down my plans so that he can destroy my false security. And that is an agonizing process of divine humiliation for my human experience. And what happens when God starts tearing down our insecurities or our false securities? By bringing us into situations where finally and ultimately self-pity even has to die. Self-appraisal has to die. Memory has to go. Everything. What happens? Then we consistently wiggle like the chicken does with its head off, hating terribly to die and fluttering with every movement of superficial life to remain involved in earth's adventures. But Jesus Christ always has the last sentence, and finally the hen dies. And Christians run around in the cycle, and they always have a reason to believe that they're not good enough, they didn't do enough, and they're failing. And then, if they do succeed in Adam, they're so proud you can't ever do anything with them. <laughs> so thank God, when the cross is the sentence of God's execution, the throne ministry is the life of Jesus Christ's purpose for every individual. And God has set before us an open door. And the question is, do you dare just plain to walk in? Do you dare to walk in? And he says, if you walk in, he'll make sure nobody will close the door. And he set the door before you so you can see what you're getting into. And it's a large room. And a Christian is constantly going into new doors. And that illustration, once in a while we do, of the late Dr. Bob Jones Sr., he said, I've been going through doors all my life. God opens the doors, and I just walk in. God opens another door, and I walk in. Still another, and I walk in. And then finally he said, my eyes are getting dim, and my throat is bad. And he said, I'm getting old, and I can't remember like I used to. And he said, God is still opening a door. He was in a hospital bed when he said that. He said, this door is heaven. He said, I'm too old for him to open any more doors on earth. So he's decided to open one in heaven for me. And there's an open door in heaven. He said, the angels are there and Jesus Christ is there. And here I go into my next open door. Just walk in the open doors. And every new thing that God says that you hear in the fullness of your desire and the humility of response. Every single thing that we hear is a new door for us to experience. That's why 
This will be my, about my 37th message in six days. And every message I preached for my life, God has showed me, showed me new doors that he's opened. New doors, new doors, and new doors. And all I have to do is walk in. And I'm a little bit better off because of that open door. A little bit better, just a little bit better. And the greatest hazard in the Christian life is self-deception. We have ignorance, then we have rebellion, then we have self-deception. To counteract that, we have knowledge, we have obedience to revelation, and then we have humility. And the greatest road that a Christian can take is the narrow one, in which he enjoys being nothing, so that he can enjoy the reality of God's oneness in the Trinity. And remember that as we are here this evening, it is in no way can Satan ever close any door that God opens. I said last night, and I want to say it again this evening in the closing prayer last night, that God's desire and purpose is reconciliation through grace, through the humility of the cross, and that's his perfect plan for the church. But Satan's perfect plan for his kingdom is separation through the division because, one, separation through division because of self. The other, reconciliation through love because of Christ. And if I have a spirit of division, then it's always because my self-life is competing with God's humility. But if I have a willingness to lay down my life and to take it on the chin when I could say all kinds of things, but I totally submit to my privilege to minister grace, then I'm revealing the oneness of the first cause love, regardless of the actions and reactions of the self-life through the devil. And the greatest thing that we can do tonight is to live as a hidden person so that the only one that people can see is Christ. And when they see us, they see a light in darkness or they sense the salt of the earth. And a person hid in the body never has anything to hide because it's already been hidden. If it's sin, Calvary took care of it. If it's flesh, the grave took care of it. If it's confidences, Heaven took care of it. The secret things belong to God. And it's a privilege to the throne to conceal the matter in Proverbs 25.1, Deuteronomy 29.29. So a Christian is extremely well off because he's off on the road of victory through a throne instead of being off in Adam on the broad road of independence because of his rights in Adam. Are you off and running? And you don't get weary, you walk, and you don't faint. There isn't a single thing that Satan can do to a child of God that walks into open doors. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com.
I love that message, that the challenge God gives us is an open door, a large room, a wide place. The grace of God, He's given to us freely. He's loved us unconditionally. In Amos 3.3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? John 10, starting in verse 7, And then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. And this, really it's amazing that Christ himself is the door into godliness, into full access to God the Father. We've been given an open door at the moment of our salvation. Jesus came and knocked on the door of our hearts. He said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. And that's in Revelation 3.20. So as a person who's received Christ and we've opened that door, there is now access because we've been made alive to God and, and to this life. And yet there are some times where it seems like that access is cut off. It seems like the door is closed. It seems like we do not sense the presence of God. We're not, it's not clear what direction we're to go in, how we're to proceed. We have a life with God, and, and uh, thoughts can come in about condemnation, insecurity. What a great topic. God is never in, insecure. He knows, and he sees, and he's aware of what he's done on our behalf. And it's really very far-reaching, much farther reaching than what we see was accomplished at the cross and when we believed in Christ as our Savior. So much was given to us and put on our account, and so much access to him we don't even understand. Abraham could come to God and ask for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the problem was not that God wouldn't have given him the city, but he just didn't ask. He wouldn't go far enough with God in his asking. In Isaiah 44, starting in verse 20 there, there's a peculiar passage there, and it really speaks to the human psychology and a spiritual dynamic that, that would be vital for us to understand. It says here, He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? And it's an interesting picture there, that someone has a lie and they grasp it in their right hand. The right hand speaks of approval throughout the scriptures. Verse 21, Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for, thy, for, thou art, for thou art my servant, I have formed me. Thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. But when we have a lie in our right hand, we will not. We'll feed on the ashes. Our heart will be deceived and turned aside. And we cannot deliver our own soul. We will not see that God has placed an open door before us. But instead, we will, we will wander and be turned aside. The ashes talk about the leftover. And we would say that we're made of ashes from dust from the beginning, that our soul cleaves unto the dust. In Numbers 19.9, it talks about how we, we would dispose of the ashes that were from the offering for sin. It said, And a man 
that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them without the camp in a clean place. And we're to take the ashes, the residue of a sinful old life, of sin that's been paid for, but yet the stubble is left over, the bits that were not consumed by the fire that are a reminder of what was, are left over and we bring them outside the camp and dispose of them there. There, out of sight, out of mind, away from us, away from our habitation of where we live. It says in Hosea 10:13, You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou did not trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. You didn't trust in thy way. And when we come to a place of disagreement with God about what he thinks about us, about uh, what his character and nature is, about what the provision is that's really available to us by faith, that we can come boldly to him, to that throne of grace, having full access to him. When we receive the gospel, that door to the throne room of grace, the lock comes off. And you see people in the world that seem to be seeking God, but before they know Christ as their Savior, before their spirit is ignited and made alive, they have no access to God. The natural man will never have access to God. He is incapable of it. He cannot receive the things of God. And actually, he's at enmity with God. And if a person is truly seeking, he will find God, not on his own terms. God will really find him. There are those that seem to be seeking for God, but really but really, they're not. Really, they're seeking from relief, from their circumstances. They're seeking for justification of their actions. They're seeking for truth that will give them power over circumstances. They're not seeking for holiness and goodness and mercy. They deceive themselves. They plow in wickedness and have eaten the fruit of lies. They grasp a lie in their right hand. Matthew 7, 7 says to the spirit-filled person, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Revelation 3, 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And here he's speaking to a church. He's talking about a specific time period, but this is an eternal truth that's available to us in our call in the vision that God has given us. That God puts before us open doors, open doors of opportunity, open doors for us to walk through, open doors. And if our hearts are open to receive it, we will see by faith that the fields are white. We will see that there are great opportunities in front of us. In Acts 14.27, And when they were come, they had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. They rehearsed it together. And this is a beautiful thing, to get together and rehearse about what God has done, what he has accomplished, with great expectation about what he will accomplish. Having a vision for the future, having a vision for the next thing, the next way that we can reach people, the next way that that the Bible can be taught, the next way that we can gather together more and more as the day approaches. Because in Jeremiah 17, 12, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our habitation. That this is the open wide room that we can come to 
and have communion with God. And an understanding of the finished work gives me emotional and mental permission to enter in to the throne room of God. The gospel, when I received it, took the lock off the door. But maybe I'm not willing to enter in because I've been turned aside, because, I, because my sin is ever before me. And I see myself in a wrong way. I don't see myself as holy and purified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I see myself naturally. Maybe I, I don't look at my potential as the potential of faith, that God, what God can do in a situation through me, and what he can do in spite of me to go forward in opportunities and walk through open doors in life. But instead, I'm looking at myself upon, based upon my past performance, which in, and evaluating what I cannot, cannot do. And I do not have the right to do that. And if I do that, I cease to operate in faith. And when I cease to operate in faith, I can no longer see the possibilities that God's put in, in my path. Romans 10:17. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith will come, a reminder of who I am, a reminder of who God is, comes by hearing the word of God. And hearing in my mind by the word of God through specific doctrine about situations and about people and about ways of operating in life, through categorical doctrine, categories of scripture and what is described in the Bible about what is true about reality in life. Hmm. Matthew 28, 20, <laughs> I've commanded you and lo, I am with you. He's always with us, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com So, perhaps to you, spiritual life seems to be a closed door, or it has. And you've looked, and you've looked, and you've looked, and you have not seemed to have found. But God will find you on His terms. And His terms are that His Son came to die for sin that his son was buried in the place of humanity, that his son became sin, that we might have the righteousness of God. And his son was raised from the dead, and his son sits at his right hand. And God is waiting to be gracious to you, to bring you into a wide place. If you'll receive him on his terms, then you will be secure in what God has done. So pray a prayer. Lord, I sense you stand at the door and knock on my heart. And right now I open that door. I open the door of my life and say, come in. Come on in. I believe in you. I believe in you. And if you've done that, then there are amazing open doors <laughs> ahead of you in your life. An open door after open door. That there will be times when you'll seek him in darkness for that open door, but it's there. And there's always a provision in every situation, a way of escape that God has made. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. He is the door of the sheep. And if you go through him, you will be able to approach God. You will see that God brings the dawn through the dark night. 